Welcome to the Andrew Young School Podcast, where each month we interview a member of the Andrew Young School community who embodies the school's charge to think ahead and innovate in the fields of criminal justice, economics, public management and policy, social work, and urban studies. On this episode, we're honoring the Andrew Young School's 25th anniversary, and we've invited our founding dean, Roy Ball, longtime friend of the college and first chair of the advisory board, Paul Rosser, and our namesake, Andrew Young, to comment on the founding and early days of the college, its rise as a public affairs college to be reckoned with in its research programs and rankings, and their thoughts on where the Andrew Young School is headed in the next 25 years. Their conversation is moderated by our current dean, Sally Wallace. Well, thank you, the three of you, for for being here with us. Um, We're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Andrew Young School, and I am sitting here with our founding fathers of the school. So I appreciate your time, and we're having an awful lot of fun with these conversations, which we're sharing with our students and our faculty and our staff and a lot of policymakers out there. I want to start off with kind of a retrospective 25 years ago. And we know that we're also celebrating the anniversary of the Olympics in Atlanta, 25th anniversary. At that point in time, Ambassador Young, you were co-chair of the Atlanta Olympic Committee. And Dr. Ball, you were the dean of this new, this new college. Tell me a little bit about what was harder to pull off. Was it the Olympics or the new college? No, it was clearly the Olympics because we had to raise about... Well, we thought we could do it for a billion dollars. It ended up costing two and a half billion dollars. And it ended up being the largest Olympics ever. And none of that was, did we dream was possible. We started the Olympics basically because we thought that um, it was good for Atlanta and it would be good for the Olympics. Montreal was still $700 million in debt. And everybody wanted uh, us to stay away from it. Except uh, Billy Payne and nine of his best friends who decided to uh, that this was good for Atlanta and they wanted to do it. We ended up with almost 400,000 volunteers over the 10 years and It was really and truly a people's event. But everybody came on board, and it was was a major success for the city. Uh, But it was also the reason why, though I didn't know it at the time, that we wanted Dr. Ball to come, come here and be a part of this. Mike Mescon said, there's a fellow up at the Maxwell School that we really need to get down here. And I said, well, where is he from? Is he from upstate New York? He said, no, he's from Florida. I said, well, we shouldn't have any problem getting him down here. (laughs) Anybody that ought ought to be willing to get out of Syracuse and come to Atlanta. It wasn't that easy. But um, I think what I saw was that something special was going to happen in Atlanta. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how it was going to happen. But I just knew that this place was about to explode in a way that few cities in America or in the world would. And I thought that it was a time for a public policy school. And 
Roy Ball's background was worldwide, and uh, everybody loved him. And so he was the perfect uh, he was the perfect fit for us. And we had we we brought him out of the cold weather into the really hot weather of Atlanta. Roy, do you remember the first time Andy got in touch with you? <laughs> I do. I do. I, I, uh, one of my kids came downstairs in the house in Atlanta and said, there's somebody on the phone named Andy Young. Uh, well, somebody introduced himself as Andy Young. I thought it was a student. So I went up there and, hello. And then it, after a minute, I realized it was Andrew Young on the phone. And so that began a long, long friendship. On the answer to your uh, question, uh, what was harder? Oh. The Olympics, the Olympics. Uh, you know, the, if, if I my my interpretation of the history was that the Delta Airlines coming here and the civil rights movement really made Atlanta a national city, and that it was great things were yet to happen, but it was going to be a national city in this country. But the Olympics made Atlanta an international city. And so there was a lot at stake. And so, you know, there's an old saw that uh, in universities, the infighting is so tough because the stakes are so small. And that's why it was easier to put the Andrew Young School together because the stakes were so small. But not so the Olympics. The stakes were really great. Boy, I remember those days down around our building, all of the kiosks and things that were out there and just so much energy. I was walking down the Broad Street, I think, with a four-month-old in my backpack, my, my daughter Anelia, and just taking it all in. It was great. Mr. Rosser, you have done so much for our school from the very, very beginning. And I wonder how Roy and Ambassador Young were able to pull you in and what attracted you to the role that you played for the Andrew Young School. That's a great question. Um, it was really simple for them. And it was simple for me. It was just the right thing to do at the time. But, uh, of course, we're talking, the Olympics were over, and that was behind us. I had been in East Germany for five years. Uh, Ambassador Young and I were really the major founders of the Wittenberg Center for Global Ethics, which is still moving along fairly well today. They have a good endowment in the bank, and uh, we started it from an idea of Andy's. That was kind of the beginning of the five years I spent in Germany, and because I had some international flavor, and uh, he knew I was fairly successful in business in Atlanta, uh, and uh, I, I don't know all the reasons, but he made the decision at a lunch with Roy Roy asked him what he thought, and he said, well, I think Paul Rosser is the right guy. So he called me. They got back to the office, called me. I went into Andy's office. Roy was there. And next thing I knew, I was uh, the new chair of a new board. <laughs> now, Roy will have to tell you why he thought an advisory board was important. We did a lot of good things for the school, but the school did everything for that needed to be done to develop a terrific school, and we just helped advertise it. And, and your wife, Sally, also jumped right in, didn't she? She has been my 
absolute partner in everything I've done since the day we got married, even before that. <laughs> well, you've both done so much for, for us, and we're, we're all so appreciative of, of that. It was really a group of dreamers, because the Olympics was a dream. Uh, the Olympics, with me, went back to 1936. Growing up in New Orleans, 50 yards from where I was born, was the headquarters of the Nazi party, the German-American Bund. And I was four, and walking by there while they were hiring Hitler, my daddy gave me my first lesson in um, white supremacy. He said, these are white supremacists, and white supremacy is a sickness. Uh, but you know from Sunday school that God created of one blood all the nations of the world. But you don't need to argue with them about that. Uh, but uh, help them if you can, but it's probably best just to stay out of their way. Uh, but then he took me to see Jesse Owens in Berlin. And when Jesse Owens won the 100-meter dash, Hitler and all of his stormtroopers walked out. And my father said, you see, if Hitler got upset, it would throw him off his main goal, which is to win three more gold medals. And he said, but he ignored Hitler, concentrated on his work, and won three more gold medals. And what Hitler did was totally irrelevant to him. That was my baptism in the Olympics and in life. And it... it um, it was what I saw potential for Atlanta and the nation, well, first the South, uh, but then the nation and the world, that we could be a truly international city that where people came from all over the world and somehow learned to live together as brothers and sisters rather than perish together as fools. It said to me that whatever we were doing in Atlanta, we could share with the world. And um, it would help Atlanta, but also it would really become a creative global university that would solve problems. Now. Roy knows which ones, but I can remember a simple thing to start off with that South Africa asked us to develop a, a public, public policy uh, for handicapped people. They probably had a larger percentage of people who were physically handicapped than almost any major nation in the world. And so when we started with something like that, and then um, Jamaica had problems with taxes, uh, and somehow Roy got the Jamaican government, both sides, to agree on a tax plan. And it was just one thing after another. I don't know what you did with Russia, but I remember that Senator uh, Max Cleland uh, had to intercede uh, to kind of get it thrown our way. The public policy school here at Georgia State uh, 
uh, found ways to handle and to get in and influence almost anything, anywhere. And I don't know how they did it. I don't even know what they were doing. Uh, but um, everybody was pleased with what was happening here. I, I was at Syracuse University, and I had a chair, and I'd been there nearly 20 years, and I wasn't thinking about leaving. And Mike Mescon called me, and he said, come on down here and see this place. You won't believe it. So I did. I came, and I saw it, and I, I liked what it was. I liked it, and I thought that would be neat. And then I thought again, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and then Mike must have talked to Andy, because then Andy makes the call to me. Well, you know, from that moment, I realized that this was a guy I was never going to say no to. So I went back to Atlanta, and this time I sat down with Mike, and he said, what would it take? And I said, I want A, B, C, and D. And if you give me A, B, C, and D, uh, I think we can build a place with a, the best policy school of the South. And he said yes, and I said yes, and I came. Uh, and building the best policy school in the South, or as Andy immediately told me, your sights are too low, uh, that wasn't so hard because it, there was nothing here like a policy school. I mean, the idea that you could inform legislators and business people about policy and public policy seemed kind of new. Tech wasn't doing it. University of Georgia wasn't doing it, and the field was wide open. And then I looked around at some faculty here, and I thought, my gosh, you know, there's some talent already here. They just aren't, they aren't collected together in a way that they could do this thing. And so I said yes and came, and that part wasn't very hard. But what I, I didn't know a lot about what would come, but I felt that to be really, really reputable, we had to win the community. Because if you didn't win this community in Atlanta, you weren't going to win the game. And so even if you won the state, that was going to be true. So I decided we needed an advisory board. And I had no idea how much we needed an advisory board. I'll just give you one example. Uh, President Clinton called me one day on the phone. It took me a while to figure out it was President Clinton on the phone. And when I did, he said, uh, I want to come to Andrew Young's birthday party, which we were planning. And I said, would you speak? And he said, yes. He said, I'll speak. Uh, and he said, but I can't stay for the party the next night, but we'll do a seminar. He said, you set it up. And so I did. I called the university and I said, let's get the biggest... Uh, auditorium you have? And they said yes. Uh, and so I had it scheduled, and Andy came down the next day to see me about it. And he came in my office. I still remember about just before he came in, I got a call from the university saying, you can't have this event on campus. And I thought, my God, I got the president of the United States coming here in eight days. I have no PR program in place, and now I don't even have an auditorium. And uh, he's, he laughed at me. He sat there and laughed at me, and he said, call Reverend Robertson out at Ebenezer, and I did, and he said yes, and we went ahead, and we had this great event. I knew then, and I knew when we planned a birthday party, when we 
rented the Hyatt without knowing who would come to an Andrew Young birthday party or even what it meant. I knew that I needed some people who would hold my hand for sure and tell us what in the world, you know, I was doing and did it make any sense. And of course, what I did know is that the advisory board was as crazy as I was and they thought everything was worth doing. And so that's why we had, you know, important people on the advisory board. And that's why Paul was leading this group. So to bring some some people to the table who weren't risk takers, I thought, uh, to tell us whether we were on the right track and doing the right thing. And it worked. It, it worked wonderfully. I don't remember it being that astounding of what we did, but I guess in retrospect, we were helping you make some good decisions is all we were doing. And we were informing a, a pretty good-sized community. We had a president of Claremont College was on that committee. And uh, a lady in Arizona that ran a big foundation was on it. Uh, the head of the foundation at Coca-Cola, Ingrid Saunders-Jones, was a member. Um, we had a lady from uh, UPS that was, we had a great group and we'd been formed, we had had one meeting and we'd been formed for about three or four or five months and we decided that we needed to have with Roy and I think maybe Sally, you were there, uh, we had a planning meeting where I brought in someone that I had had experience with both in the Navy as well as in my firm that did some really great future thinking type planning, thinking a way out of the box. And that group was so good at you know, expounding on the things that they believe the school could do, should do, so on and so forth. Roy was in part of the meetings. There, there were three or four faculty members that came and went. We met for two days. And we literally did kind of a thinking out of the box master plan for the dean and for his use of whatever what might be. And that was kind of the guiding, you know, guidepost for at least 10 years of that board, the activities that we undertook and things that we did. We didn't really do that much. The school did all the work. We tried to do some of the community thinking and the community relations as well as global thinking, and uh, maybe we added some some value. Well, it was there was one time, and I don't know what it was for, but I heard somebody say that uh, we had forty one million dollars worth of grants and proposals that uh, Roy and the staff had gathered that were allowing us to consult with and help people all over the world. And I don't. I still don't know where all of those countries were, but uh, everywhere we went, we uh, we made some kind of impact. But it also brought some of their students here. We were working in uh, probably a dozen countries in Africa. Dean Sally Wallace is familiar with one of them very well. Um, and we were working there, we were working in Russia, 
I think, I don't know if we were working in China at that time, but I think we were doing work in India. Roy, you know all the places, and, and so, does the, so does the dean. But this school came from not existing to a full-fledged policy school in about 10 years. And I don't remember when the article was written about it in U.S. US News, was it? But I think that was around 2005, six, somewhere in that time frame. But it's, it's pretty amazing how fast things were pulled together. And uh, I think almost everything that Ambassador Andrew Young touches is spiritual. I really do. I know that sounds a little bit out of the box. But if he touches it and blesses it, it's going to work. And I have found that to be true for at least 65 years. You know, there, there, there also is something about if you're gonna, if you're gonna get the community to believe in you, you've got to be in the community somehow, and you've got to be doing good work in the community. And so, from the beginning, we were doing a lot of work in the community. You remember that, Sally? I, and I think uh, one of the first initiatives after I arrived was to see if we couldn't get involved with the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia had one woman whose part-time job was to inform the legislature. And so there was no professional backup. And so we, I, I went to see the, the commissioner of taxation, and he said something to me that sounded like, uh, I hear what you say, and if we need you boys, we'll call you. Uh, and that was pretty much it. And then Georgia decided they needed a tax reform, and they went to the University of Georgia, who uh, gave them a budget which made somebody mad. And they called, and I went up there, and I said, we'll do it. And they said, how much will y'all boys charge us? I said, oh, oh, Senator, we wouldn't charge any money for something like this. We're a state university. And we won it, and we did it. And from there on, we were advisors to the state. Showquist Center eventually uh, brought in a person who was the permanent advisor to the legislature on fiscal matters. And so just everything started falling in place. And as that happened, our reputation increased in the city. And then when we named the school three years later, then it really took off. Yeah, and the names that you're mentioning, how they became part of our college, Dan yeah. Sweat, Coca-Cola, Delta, they were all very generous and part of what we were doing. One of the other hallmarks of, of our school is the international component. Um, I don't know of another policy school that comes close to doing the international work and the reach that we, we have done. Um, and, and Roy, I wonder if you would say a little bit about how we were able to do that or where it started. When I went to college and graduate school, I was not a world traveler. Uh, I don't think I'd ever been to the West Coast even. Uh, and I got a call one day from the uh, International Monetary Fund asking if I would be interested in coming there. They'd read something I'd written. And when I went there, I told the guy who was in charge, you know, I don't have a passport. I've never been out of the country. I have no idea about international affairs. He said, uh, you'll learn that. And so I went there and spent about four years at the IMF. And I got 
absolutely fascinated with this whole idea of the international economy, and I learned uh, that I had something to say about it based on what I had done in the United States. So when I went to Syracuse, one of the first things I did is pushed for more work in international economics. And we built a center there, and we eventually attracted money and did a lot of work around the world. So I, I brought that with me, thinking that if you're going to be a, a, a policy center with a world view and attract world students, you better be thinking about doing things around the world. And just before I cut the cord at uh, at Syracuse, we uh, got together with the government of, of Guatemala. And we came down and we hit the ground running with the Guatemala tax reform. And from there, it just went forward. I remember uh, stuff was coming in. Sally came into my office one day and she said, oh, 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 I got a call from AID. I'm going to go do an international job. Where are you going? She says, Uzbekistan. Where is Uzbekistan? <laughs> and that's, that was where we were in those days. And it just went forward. I think one of the, the, the things that kicked it off good for us were the training programs. It was our idea. Everywhere we went, we said, you know, what you need is some training in this area. Why don't we package up a, a program for you and you send 30 at a time? And these students will come and we'll put on a training program. And we did it based on what we had learned. And I don't know how many we did. but I remember one you did where just before Mandela took over, we had three young women from South Africa that got their doctorates and went back to, well, two were from South Africa, one from Botswana. Uh, but uh, to graduate three p young black women with PhDs in public policy to start uh, the independence of South Africa made a big difference. If you had asked me the question, what was the greatest challenge that I faced in all those years as dean, it would be that. How to keep enough people on the faculty who know what a policy school is about, because you have this constant pull away from that. I'm sure you're going to find it sooner or later because it, it stayed with me all the time. And sometimes you get lucky. You, you get a guy like Jorge Martinez who can do everything, right? But a lot of time we get people who are interested purely in the theoretical aspect of something, and they don't really bother to learn about the policy stuff that they want to do. That was the hardest thing of all, keeping that faculty together. Well, that's a, that's a lesson that you taught me in hiring, and I, I hope that I learned it as, as well as I could. But, you know, since we started the school, we've added additional departments, particular criminal justice and social work. Um, and these are, these are units that are completely facing outward. So they're in, they're in the world. They're, they're doing things on the ground, and I think they've been terrific additions. You know, I think we're going to get close to the end of our time here, and I wanted to just throw one more question on the table and maybe some advice for me in, in my position. What would you like to see the Andrew Young School do, change, if anything, over the next 25 years, or 
what sorts of policies do you think are going to be even more important than they are now for us to grapple with? You know, any, anything that you see for the future of policy school? The whole metropolitan area is growing rapidly. I, I saw a figure that the, the gross domestic product generated by the city of Atlanta and the immediate uh, counties adjacent is just about the same size as Norway. Well, Norway's a $400 billion budget, and we are $398 billion budget, uh, or G GDP. That's not just Atlanta. That's, um, that's all of these counties. It's a metropolitan area, and it's growing faster. And I wish there was some way we could focus on how to create a permanent a civil service. I think we need to do that for all of the surrounding area, and we might need to do it in cooperation with Gwinnett or Clayton State or something, but I think if we could do that, it would help. I think the answer to your question is perpetuity, is what the goal should be. And to be to do that, I think is going to take expanding beyond Georgia State University. I I wonder about, and, and this addresses the issue that Ambassador Young's concerned about. I wonder how you could go about developing branches of the Andrew Young School at Kennesaw State, at the University of Georgia, but maybe some goals of how to share the great knowledge that's been generated and gathered in, in downtown Atlanta with everybody. It's the school, the whole package that needs to be shared. I think there's a, that could be in the future of the school, beyond downtown Atlanta, beyond the state of Georgia. There's a million avenues, but I'll go back to perpetuity. I just hope that the Henry Young School is historically very well known a hundred years from now. I, uh, I have a couple of thoughts. I know the job you have is a tough job uh, because you've got a lot of masters to serve, and it's, it must seem like mission impossible all the time. But I have two thoughts. First... Imagination goes a long way. I think just to be imaginative about what a college can do is so important, even if you fail. Uh, but to think about different ways of doing things. And, and I'll give you just two little examples. Uh, we had, at one point, uh, we were public administration and public management, and we got this idea a group of faculty and I, that uh, ministers were presiding over big churches without a clue as to how to manage those churches. Most of them didn't even know how a budget worked. So we went out to the Presbyterian Seminary and we thought we could get something going. And for a while, for a little while, we had a not-for-profit program going with seminaries. And we were actually doing some of the coursework for them. It was a great idea. It failed. Uh, but still, we couldn't sustain it because we didn't have the resources to sustain it. 
We tried a flight school at one point because we were working with Delta and we thought something really neat could happen. And students came by the bazoo, but we couldn't sustain it because we ran out of resources. But it was the right thing. It was the right thing to try. And then, but on subject matter, you know, I'll tell you what I think. I, I think that an integrating theme of the work of a good policy school almost anywhere now is going to be sharing the wealth because economies are changing. The way economies work are changing. The way we earn money and the way we tax and the way we spend. But we don't really have an idea about how to share the wealth. Even the good guys in Congress don't appear to have a good idea about how to share the wealth. And it's a, it's a subject that good minds have a lot of thinking to do about. And I kind of would like to see more of that in policy schools. Yeah, I think you'd be proud to see some of our alums and where they've ended up in elected offices, but also is all over the world. Yeah, yeah, that's also very impressive is the fact that the reach of this student body, the the what do you call it, reach or span or whatever, is all over the United States. I mean, all over the globe, not the United States. You know, the, the other thing, maybe in conferences, I've been impressed with uh, Karen Minion and the way she's worked with the, the state health organizations. And um, you get them in here for a day, but they feel good about coming to Atlanta to spend a day in, in a building like this. and I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. And, and I, I just love hearing how things came together and the, and the roles that you played. And, and we didn't even get to touch on so many important people, you know, Paula Stefan and Bob Moore and Dave Showquist, Sam Skogstad and others that have, have built this school as well. But uh, maybe we'll have another opportunity for doing that. So Thanks so much. Sally, the good news is you're just getting started. <laughs> I you hope really so. are. I hope so. In our next episode, we'll hear from a panel of faculty members about how the school has evolved over the previous 25 years. And then we'll have a panel from some of our new faculty on the future of the Andrew Young School. The Andrew Young School podcast is produced by me, Taylor Olmsted, with production assistance on this episode from Jennifer Giratano and Amanda Poucher, along with Tayemba Shabazz and James Amon from the Creative Media Industries Institute. Our executive producer is Avani Raval. We are a production of Georgia State University's Andrew Young School of Policy Studies, located in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. To learn more about the Andrew Young School, visit us online at aysps.gsu.edu or follow us on social media at aysps.gsu. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next month with more stories from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University.